You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. To shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. I'm Joshua Jonah Fishman, and today my segment is going to be devoted to discussion of the Oklahoma City Thunder. On the heels of our interview with Thunder-obsessed Chuck Chaney, I want to talk about Kevin Durant's injury. It turns out that he's going to be out for at least another week. Last season, things did not go so well in his absence. Oklahoma City missed out entirely on the playoffs. I want to talk about how the Thunder are going to adapt. Let's go to Lauren first. Well, obviously, OKC is going to miss Durant while he's out. I think the thing you're going to notice the most is an increased reliance on Russell Westbrook. We saw last year while Kevin Durant was out, Russell Westbrook just went off every game, averaging almost a triple-double with 30 points during that stretch. Whether they'll win games or struggle a little bit, I think this year they have a little bit of a better supporting cast than they did last year while Durant was out. Waiters and Cantor both seem to be understanding their roles a little bit better, so hopefully they can weather the storm better. It's just maybe three or four games, so hopefully it won't be too bad. Aaron, aside from Russell Westwood possibly going back into triple-double mode, is there anything else that Oklahoma City needs to do to survive the few games? Hopefully it's just that without Durant. First and foremost, they're going to have to defend because when they had Kevin Durant's scoring output, they were able to give up more points and still end up winning. And we'll talk about this later, but even with Durant, they're not a contender if they can't defend better than they've been. But especially without Durant, they're going to need to give up fewer points. More intensity from that side of the floor is very important. And also, Westbrook is a great scorer. He does that well, and that's one of his strong suits. But he's going to have to be careful, and the team's going to have to be careful about over-relying on him. The other players will need to be ready when they're open. If he can penetrate, dish out, get a lot of assists, and get other players feeling it, guys like Anthony Morrow, who are going to need to play more in Durant's absence, and that bodes well for the Thunder. But um, as Lauren said, not that many games without Durant, assuming that his recovery goes as planned. No doubt. Hopefully for the Thunder, it's just a few games. They said he's going to be reevaluated within 7 to 10 days of the announcement, which came a couple days ago. Lauren mentioned that the Thunder have a strong supporting cast. Specifically, I want to ask you, Lauren, about Ennis Cantor and Dion Waiters. Neither of them start currently. We heard Chuck had some strong opinions about that. What do you think? Should they be starting? I'm more fine with the bench role for Cantor and Waiters than Chuck seemed to be. I feel like both of those players are people who need the ball in their hands to be good contributors. Dion Waiters especially, he likes to take a lot of shots. And also Ennis Cantor, when he's posting up, he can be very ball dominant too. And that's when they're most effective. If you put them in the starting lineup, alongside Westbrook and Durant and Ibaka, they won't have as many touches as they need to be effective in their roles. 
you don't want Dion Waiters to be hoisting up shots that could have been taken by Kevin Durant. And you don't want Cantor to be clogging up the post, calling for the ball when Westbrook needs that lane to drive. So I think they're fine where they are on the bench. I think Chuck Taney might have been a little bit too cynical about that, but he sees what he does and it's just a difference in opinion. That's a good point about Cantor and Waiters both needing the ball a lot. And having Steven Adams and Anthony Robertson starting really helps out when both Durant and Westbrook are on the floor because those guys are not scorers. They're more role players and they're there for their specific rebounding and defensive efforts. I think especially since Chuck Cheney said he doesn't believe in the Durant-Westbrook stagger, if you send those guys to the bench together, you need people on the court who can keep up that scoring load. And Waiters and Cantor are perfect for that role because it just means that they can play their game beat up on some second unit defenses, and not worry about deferring to the big guys. If you move them to the starting lineup, you're going to see a huge drop-off offensively. Plus, as mentioned before, I don't think you're getting ideal production out of Dion and Ennis when they're on the court with Durant and Westbrook. Yeah, I agree. Billy Donovan is the new head coach in Oklahoma City, and we talked about him in the interview on Wednesday. A team with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook obviously is going to be good. But if you're the, their coach, you obviously can't just say, you guys are two of the best scorers in the league, go do your thing. Clearly, Billy Donovan will have to coach this team. So Aaron, what has he done right so far? And what has he done wrong in the early going? He's clearly installed a more open offense. Chuck Chaney talked about it a lot earlier in the week. It's resulted in, in more passes. A higher percentage of field goals made are assisted for Oklahoma City this year. And we'll see how that changes, if at all, in Durant's absence. But they're going to need to be passing even more so now without Durant, who sometimes isos. But that's been one strong point, definitely. The defense has been a problem. And it's really hard to say this early on if it's Donovan's fault, if it's his players' fault, if it's just the personnel. I would assume it's still early in the season that Oklahoma City can improve upon their subpar defense so far. But I think that's the weakest thing so far that we've seen. And Lauren asked a question about the late game stagnation. I guess I could pick at that as well for a weakness so far with Billy Donovan. But it's so early in the season. And when you have guys like Durant and Westbrook who are effective scorers in clutch situations, it's okay sometimes for them to isolate. If it goes in, you're not complaining. So I don't think that's that big of a deal. Now, here's a question for both of you guys, starting with Lauren. Should the Thunder be considered a legitimate contender in the West? I think it depends on what you consider to be a legitimate contender. They definitely still have a shot at getting home court in the West, and possibly with the logjam that there is, that's all that you need, that and a little bit of luck to come out. But right now, if you want to say, do they have a good shot of making the NBA Finals, I think every team is chasing the Warriors, and it's still early, but it doesn't seem like any team is nearly as dominant as they are. Aaron, what say you? So Oklahoma City is definitely going to be one of the best four or five teams in the West. So I think just by virtue of that alone, I think that they're going to be a legitimate contender when all is said and done. At this point, it's way too early to say. I don't think it's really fair to discuss it, but we have a show, and it's interesting to talk about, so we're going to do it. But 
their defensive issues right now make them not look like a championship contender. I think that they'll get those figured out. They still have Westbrook and Durant on the roster. So yeah, if you ask me by season's end, are they a contender in the West? Yes. They, they won't be the favorite. I think it will be the Warriors most likely. But um, yeah, I think they'll be a contender. Before I close out this edition of the J-Spot, I have one final question for both of you. Chuck Cheney or Calvert Cheney? Lauren first. Well, once Calvert Cheney agrees to come on this show, I'll change my answer. But for now, Chuck Cheney's my bet. While Calvert is a cool name, I'm going to go with Chuck. He did a great job on the episode. It was fun. There you have it. Chuck wins again. Welcome in, listeners, to our second segment, the AA Ron Block, where Kawhi Leonard is one of our main focuses. He's anchoring a Spurs defense that's doing very well this season so far, and he's really doing it on the offensive end, which is exciting to see. He's been featured prominently in their offense. He's taking a lot more shots. Greg Popovich recently gave him tape of Charles Barkley handling double teams during his career. And I want to read this Kawhi Leonard quote first. I always wanted to be a great player coming into the NBA. First coming in, I wanted to be on a team that was a winning team and helped me learn how to win in this league. I gradually wanted to become a go-to guy, and now he is becoming that go-to guy, and it's a joy to watch. Everyone was talking about the LaMarcus Aldridge edition and how he was going to be the main guy offensively in the offseason, but how special is it to see Kawhi finally being the guy on offense and still defending and rebounding at a high level? Joshua? It's been special. LaMarcus Aldridge is a really good player, but I don't believe that you can build a team around him. I think Kawhi Leonard needs to be the star. The way LaMarcus plays, he shoots a lot of mid-range jumpers. He's not that great on defense, in my opinion. Kawhi is a guy you can build around, and he's only 24 years old. This season, he's been shooting way more. He's averaging more than 17 field goal attempts per game. So far, he's shooting well over 50%, averaging almost 22 points per game, shooting over 90% from the free throw line. He's been amazing. His defense and rebounding, stellar as always. Yeah, he was excited about this kid. He was the defensive player of the year, and a lot of people felt like it should have gone to Draymond Green or someone else. Kawhi Leonard did miss games, but he defended at a very high level last season. He's doing it again. But the offense, Lauren, what's going on? It's exciting, right? Yeah, as you both said, Kawhi's calling card his whole career has been defense. But this season, he's been showing he can do so many things on offense that he doesn't get a lot of credit for when you discuss who are the best players in the league. He can shoot threes. He can drive to the hoop. He can pass. He's just added so many facets to his offensive game. And he has shown that he can be the go-to guy on a team. He can be your franchise cornerstone. And he's the best defender in in the league, in my opinion, too. You saw it when he shut down Kevin Durant game one. Yeah, and, and earlier this season, he gave Carmelo Anthony also a very difficult time blocking three of his shots and, and holding him to a low point total. And you don't really see that a lot anymore in this league. Star players 
really two-way players. LeBron James is good defensively, but in recent years, he's taken a little bit of a hit, and reasonably so, too, for sometimes not always giving his full effort on defense. So it'll remain to be seen if Leonard's able to um, still play tenacious defense. But Popovich recently said that what we want out of him first and foremost is to rebound and defend. And we know he has the skills to do it offensively, but if he's not rebounding and defending, then he's not doing his job. Do you think, Joshua, that a guy like Kawhi Leonard could ever really slip defensively as long as he's young and the skills are still there? I don't think that could happen. I guess anything could happen. I don't expect it to happen. And something that I want to add that I, I didn't get to before, this Spurs team is aging. They're old. LaMarcus is 30. Danny Green's 28. Kawhi's 24. Everyone else is ancient, pretty much. They, they just need a young guy to be good there for a long time, and that's Kawhi. But I think the way he plays, his defense is not going anywhere. And a lot of times the defense that he plays feeds his offense too, leads to transition breaks. Yeah, exactly. Lauren, I want to ask you this before we move on. How important is it that a team like the Spurs, as Joshua mentioned, that's aging? Now, I I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but at this rate, he could be a franchise cornerstone, one of the top five players in the NBA easily for the next 12 years. What does that mean for the Spurs' outlook going forward? Well, you know, people have been saying that the Spurs are done for probably five years now, and they keep showing us that they're still a high-level team. I think finally this season is when we'll see the last remnants of Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili all being elite players. Parker and Ginobili are already probably not even there anymore. But having a guy like Kawhi Leonard who you can hand the reins to, who's only 24 years old. That's such a luxury for a team because now they already have their next cornerstone, as you alluded to, and they can build around him. Danny Green is another guy. He's 28, a little bit older, but he can still be productive the way he plays for at least a few more years, and then they can build up. But what you need is that strong base and you can build around Kawhi Leonard. I also want to make it clear that we're not saying that LaMarcus Aldridge is chop liver. He obviously was a key offseason addition. He's 30, but he still can play at a high level, especially his style of play on offense, where he heavily relies upon the mid-range jumper. So he'll still be very good for them going forward. But I just can't stress enough how important it is to have a guy, a two-way player like Kawhi Leonard, be the star. And he doesn't need to have an outgoing, flashy personality. We saw it with Tim Duncan. You don't need to have that personality to be a star. He's vocal enough with his teammates. His teammates know what he expects of them. I think he's just a leader at 24, and I don't care that he ever talks. Do you guys care? No. I like that. I like that pause. So we're just going to close it out, actually, right now. Stay tuned for another fun, exciting segment after the break. This is Lauren Lee Chen 
A big story this past week has been the sad story of the Sacramento Kings. It seems like there's a lot of dysfunction in that organization, starting with reportedly Cousins getting in shouting matches with George Carl, which led into a players-only meeting in which a lot of things were discussed within the team that we won't know the details of. Reportedly, George Carl asked Vlade Divas if he could suspend Cousins, and Divas said no. But everybody on the team seems to be downplaying the situation, saying it's a natural course of people with big personalities working together. Josh, what do you think of the situation in Sacramento? I think it's a terrible way, obviously, to start a season. Not only is their win-loss record awful, but seemingly a lot of the players and coaches don't get along. When a team like the Sacramento Kings are trying to end a long playoff drought, this can't be a good sign. In our earlier episode with James Hamm, he was pretty optimistic coming into the season he was a little bit wary about things possibly going wrong with the personalities as you probably have to always be with Cousins and Rondo on your team with George Carl. But I don't think anyone expected them to get off to this sort of start. Aaron, do you think there's anything that can be done to rectify the situation? Do you think they should fire Carl, trade Cousins, or any other drastic measures? First of all, let me start out with It seems like an issue of the players losing respect for their coach. And as a journalist, I hate to say that because I'm not in the locker room. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know if the anonymous sources are giving accurate information. But George Carl reportedly was upset that he was not allowed to suspend his star player. And then uh, that in turn looks bad to the players that... Carl gets yelled at and cussed at if the reports are true and then doesn't even have a way to punish the player, in this case, DeMarcus Cousins. So if that is the case, that they've lost respect for George Carl, then I don't know how much sense it makes to keep him around for too long. But he's a decorated coach. He's had a a ton of success in the NBA. And I don't think it really makes that much sense to make any change right now at this point in the season. It's still early. The Kings can still turn it around. But how can it be rectified, if at all? DeMarcus Cousins has to cool it, and that's much easier said than done. He's not the only one that's unhappy with the losing. His teammates are just as unhappy. Just because he's the star player does not give him a right to yell and cuss at people if the reports are true. So he has to relax a little bit. And I think that everyone just has to trust each other more and stop blaming each other and try to work cooperatively together toward a larger goal. And that goal is to make the playoffs. As Joshua alluded to, it's been too long since they've made the playoffs. And they're in win-now mode. It would be a huge disappointment if they had another playoff-less season. I just want to add, a major reason for their early failures is the fact that as of now, Friday night before the Kings play the Nets, they've allowed the third most points per game to their opponents almost 109 i think the lakers and pelicans probably are the two worst right the actually the wizards and pelicans but the lakers are are all nearly there so giving up more points than the lakers that's not good right and And they uh, haven't even played that many good teams right and their uh, opponent's field goal percentage 
the Kings second worst in the league. Forty eight percent their opponents are shooting against them. Only the Pelicans worst. Their offense has been fine. They're scoring the eleventh most points per game. Their field goal percentage is, is a little bit better than middle of the pack. It's like we predicted before the season. Their defense is is still a major question mark, and that has to turn around. Lauren, can I add something about the tumultuous situation? Of course. Thank you. I just wanted to say that Vivek Ranadive, the owner, brought Drake into the locker room after another one of their many losses, and surely the players were not too pleased with that, or the coaches. It, It just adds more to that whole perception of Vivek as an owner that's kind of out of touch, out of tune with his players and coaches and more worried about publicity and, and being seen with celebrities. So wasn't a good look there. And I just want to add, Drake was not there reportedly in a crisis management capacity. <laughs> he was <laughs> just there. As, I thought uh, he has a soothing thing about his songs. When he sings to people, he calms dangerous situations, no? I think Rana Dive didn't even know about what was going on when he brought Drake in. Could have accidentally worked. It, it might have unintentionally had that effect. Aaron, I wanted to come back to something you said regarding the players possibly having lost respect for George Carl and maybe the organization needing to move on from him. The Kings notoriously recently haven't had their coaches last very long. We saw three coaches last season alone. Do you think this team needs some continuity from the coaching standpoint? Do you think that's an important thing? Because who as a coach are they going to get if they continue down this path? That's an excellent point, and they do. Despite George Carl's age, he says that he's in great health and that he can be there for the foreseeable future. And so I'd like to see him there longer I hope that it's not the case that he's lost the team. And a lot of times when you hear that, it's not even the case. It's just people speculating. So I hope that he can stay there longer because DeMarcus Cousins, Jason Thompson, who's no longer there, he notoriously played under seven or eight coaches in like seven years or something crazy like that. It's not good for a young player's development, even a star like Cousins, to be playing under a new coach every single season. So that's not good. One thing I also wanted to add, I don't like how George Carl's using Ben McLemore. He's only playing him 16 minutes per game, and he had a great sophomore year. It wasn't great, but it was a significant improvement upon his rookie season. He was making threes. He was defending better. And when you have a young guy whose confidence might be a little shaky, I don't think it's too smart to not give him trust and not give him minutes. So I don't like that, what George Carl's doing. But that aside, I think that George Carl can be relatively successful there. And I do think that ownership needs to be a little bit more patient. But all these crazy, chaotic things have to stop coming up or someone will lose their job soon if it keeps happening. Right. Obviously, we listed a ton of problems with the situation. And one final thing I would want to add is they've... So far this season, it's still early, but they've already had a ton of injuries to Darren Collison, Rudy Gay, DeMarcus Cousin was, has been missing games. And you have to wonder if they're at full strength, if they can compete with other teams and are winning games instead of getting off to this terrible start, if this type of dysfunction would be coming out. Because a lot of it is a result of Cousins just being a 
very competitive person, and he hates losing. So I just just very quickly want to point out that Michael Malone got fired after DeMarcus Cousins was sidelined with viral meningitis. So that's an interesting parallel that he was blamed essentially for their sluggish start last season when wasn't really his fault. His star player was out with illness, and I think it was used as a convenient excuse by ownership, and maybe they could do the same with Carl. But um, so far, Divach has said that Carl's job is not in jeopardy. Many CEOs and, and bosses have said that, and it turns out not to be the case, but at this point, we have to take Divach at his word. And now Rudy Gay has gastroenteritis, so George Carl better watch out. So hopefully the situation in Sacramento can get better soon. You just hope for that city who's gone through a lot with ownership in the past few years and the threat of relocation of their team that they can get through this. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. That's all for our show. This is On the NBA Beat. I'm Lauren Lee Chen for Aaron and Joshua Jonah Fishman. Thanks for listening. 